This is Secrets to Win Big, your roadmap to sustained growth. Brought to you by Arjun Sen, founder and CEO of Zen Mango, top brand growth driver and a former Fortune 500 executive who has been called one of the most marketing intelligent minds in the business. Find him at zenmango.com. And now, here's your host, Arjun Sen. Welcome to Secrets to Win Big with Arjun Sen. Hi, this is Arjun. And I have the best seat in the house because I get a chance to talk to leaders from all walks of life and all over the world. The reason the all walks of life are very important is because each one of our life's journeys are different, our starting points are different, and our end destinations are different. And a wise man one time told me that eight out of 10 things I need to know already exists in an industry far, far away. And that's the reason this diversity of thoughts really makes me smarter, of course, with a bar that is not that high, it's not that tough. But today I'm really excited on a both personal note and a professional note to welcome Dr. Deet Chaudhary as the VIP guest to Secrets to Win Big. Dr. Deet Chaudhary is the founder and CEO of Medicardia Health. Jeet has been a, cardi- a cardiac electrophysiologist and an electrical engineer, and today has more than 10 years experience in clinical operations, applied value care, value-based care, and population health and cardiovascular informatics. What I really want to understand today is how Jeet went from where he is to being the founder of Medicardia, which is a digital health platform that aggregates and visualizes healthcare data and applies intelligence and automation at the clinical patient interface to drive value for patients, providers, practices, and payers. I really want to also get an understanding on how by using technology, Medicardia is delivering big wins to stakeholders and how they are developing the healthcare platform of tomorrow to drive digital transformation today, starting with cardiology and cardiovascular diseases. Really intrigued. Jeet, welcome to Secrets to Win Big. Thank you so much, Arjun. It's a pleasure to be, to be with you and to join you today. So Jeet, let me just jump straight to Medicardia. First of all, a big congratulations on the vision and making that a reality. So first of all, how did this journey start? Wow, that's a great question. I think this has slowly been smoldering in me for a while, but there was certainly a coming into alignment of personal and professional influences and winds, both tailwinds and headwinds uh, that set me on this path. I can think back to even uh, in my late teen years and early 20s as an engineer with designs on entering healthcare, uh, I had a particular fascination with bringing the power of technology to bear in biological and medical sciences. Fast forward to the subsequent realities of medical practice using traditional EMRs and other siloed databases and even papered records at times made it very clear to me that there had to be a better way to get access to the data I wanted, as well as the data I didn't realize I needed so that I could provide the care I felt my patients deserved. And so I started designing an interface that could show all this information, but it was still somewhat static for me. 
And I needed to discover the true purpose still and value of what I was imagining the platform could be. And quite coincidentally, this all came to a head back in 2017 when my mom ended up needing surgery. Uh, the reality was that due to the somewhat sudden nature of the problem, she didn't really have the time to know with confidence the specifics of the problem she faced or the surgery she needed to undergo, but she knew she needed to simply accept it and undergo the procedure or risk being handicapped. And we've all faced that situation before, leaving the doctor's office with more questions than answers, feeling somewhat at a loss, uh, and having to simply accept whatever comes next. It's a level of trust or faith that's truly unprecedented when a stranger asks you to put your well-being, your body, your life in their hands. So mom did fine, but I realized then that the missing element in metacardia was intelligence and automation. Automation would give the docs back the time they needed to spend with patients. So people like my mom, uh, actually have a chance to ask questions and gain an understanding of their health or illness, or allow those docs to see more patients, which is another major issue we face in the US and across the globe, access to healthcare. But embedded intelligence would allow clinicians to provide the best care, and through that, earn the trust of their patients and radically improve the experience of care for patients and providers as well as be true ambassadors in the community they serve and representatives on behalf of the organizations which, within which they provide that care. But most important, the combination I realized of data, intelligence, and automation has the ability to improve quality of care and maintain that level of quality while radically scaling up volume to improve access to care across the country and across the globe uh, for all patients with health and disease. So that's really fascinating. But now let me translate this or request you to translate this from a layman's you know, point of view. What is the vision of success? Like at the end of two, three, four years of metacardia running at full throttle, how would the life of patients, physicians, practices, and payers, how would they change? Well, I think I'm going to start at the very, very macro level and talk about the industry first. The vision of its success is that healthcare as an industry transitions from being one of the least digitized industries to one in which digitization is at the center of how we maintain and act upon data. And why is that so? Why is healthcare that way? Healthcare is dramatically analog today. We in America, call the traditional, what we've come to know as the electronic medical record, we call that a technological innovation. Mm. And yet we don't realize or don't recognize that, that that glorified relational database is itself non-functional and organizations throughout the country and across the globe have to hire armies of human beings to actually operationalize that so-called technological innovation. Well, so, as I'm listening to you, I'm sorry, like this is just hitting me. A credit card company knows more about me than my doctor knows about my health. That is the absolute truth. 
So how are you changing? Like, how would it change? Like, I have been a you know, patient. So how does that change the life of a patient and then a physician and a practice? Right. So to realize that transformation, to realize that picture of success, we need platforms, digital data platforms like Metacardia and a few others that are mission aligned with us to be given the opportunity to demonstrate what the new digital care paradigm actually looks like. And it's important to understand that digital care doesn't mean impersonal, robot-driven, computer-face care. Rather, that data is continually being analyzed to keep people healthy and providing their personal relationship with the doctor that provides their care, the value to empower that physician to be the true confident, confidant to that patient that the patients expect and feel that they have in their provider or in their doctor or in their nurse practitioner or the PA. Um, what it means is using data and analytics to provide true healthcare rather than sick care. What is the difference? What is true healthcare versus sick care? What's the difference? Sure. So the, the best description of that that I see today is the oxymoronic term population, population health. Mm. Healthcare organizations refer to population health as a means of sort of identifying patients that are the sickest. Mm -hmm. and, to, and they focus on preventing uh, progression of that disease and to contain costs that are created by those sickest patients. Uh, related to their care. In reality, health care should be focused on the vast majority of people who are healthy and preventing sickness and development of disease to begin with. Mm -hmm. That's health care. Mm -hmm. There is a need for sick care, mm -hmm. but health care and sick care are very different. And we use the term health care to refer to caring for the small minority of people who are sick in the United States. And we ignore the, the big, big, vast opportunity of keeping people who are healthy, healthy and improving their health. Wow. That's really powerful because I've never looked at it that way, that healthcare right now is all about focusing on sick care. So Jit, what makes Medicardia unique? Medicar in Medicardia, at Medicardia, we don't believe in the no-win scenario. And we don't believe that in order for some stakeholders to win, that others have to lose. So we are not a small niche product that is tailored to one or maybe two target audiences. We're addressing the needs of the patients, the providers, the practices, and payers all together so that it's a win, 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 win. So maybe what's most unique about us as a startup is that we have this anti-startup mindset right now. We know we're thinking big, some would say way too big, and yet it resonates with everyone we talk to, from patients to providers, to investors, to insurance companies, and yes, even to the large uh, healthcare networks and organizations that recognize that digital transformation and data-driven healthcare is the true solution 
that will enable us to actually transition into value-based care, which is the reimbursement model that we are moving into. Currently, we're in a fee-for-service model where the work that is done by doctors, irrespective of the quality and the outcomes, is reimbursed. Hmm. But if we can use data and knowledge that already exists and harness the power of that and put it in the hands of the doctors and put it in the hands of the patients, then what inevitably and invariably falls out is the highest quality of care. We contain costs. And as we solve this problem in cardiology, we then transcend disease verticals within, with our architecture and deploy it across healthcare. So we're thinking far, <laughs> far bigger in a, in a very vast scale for, for a small startup. But we have the clarity of vision um, that, uh, that provides the wind in our sails. And we think uh, we're gaining a critical mass of followers as well. I love the clarity. I love the bigger picture. But my grandma always told me how you eat an elephant is one piece at a time. So now let me ask you a very layman's level simple question. Once metacardia exists, how would it impact Dr. Jeet, one individual physician? And let's say Arjun was a patient of yours, that patient individually. So how would one doctor and one patient's life change? I think the first way that it would change is that I would immediately have a vast uh, awareness of information about you mm -hmm. presented to me, the things that I traditionally would want to see, but also the things that I didn't even realize that I needed to know about you. And it would present them to me rather than me having to take the time to look for all of that. Uh, the, the, one of the descriptions I recently heard uh, uh, or analogies was that healthcare was like archaeology. You're constantly digging, 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 digging. You never know if you'll find something and what you'll find and then what to do with it. Well, as a patient, you don't deserve to be put in that position. Mm -hmm. You expect that, uh, uh, that your physician will be prepared with the information that they need to provide the service that is perhaps the most valuable of all services, care for your well-being, care for your life, care for your body, care for your health, care for your mind and soul. So the experience is one of knowledge exchange, one of uh, being informed. Secondly, that exchange is between me and you or me and the patient rather than me facing a computer mm -hmm. while the patient is sitting to my side or even behind me while I am trying to listen to them, trying to give them the sense that I'm paying attention while I am looking up things in the computer and typing things in. Um, the care that they receive is not only the one that is most appropriate for them medically, but also meets their personal wishes and goals at what stage of life they're in, what socioeconomic influences they face, what uh, personal uh, situation that they may find themselves in. Because we have the opportunity to investigate all of those other influences that are actually the true determinants of health for patients. 
the social determinants of health are what actually dictate a patient's outcome. I can provide somebody advice and I can prescribe medications, but if they have to take a bus in the middle of the rain to go to the pharmacy, the reality is that they will not get the benefit of the so-called prescription. If they have to choose between buying their medicines and putting food on the table, we know that there's a serious compromise that has to be made. And those are the real um, opportunities that we have that we need to consider when we're providing care. So I'm just going back to what you were saying at the beginning, and I'm freaking out because I'm stuck at one concept. Me as a patient, even in front of the coolest physician ever, but the physician doesn't have access to every piece of information about me. I'm just thinking, forget my health for a second. Waze or any GPS I use, if the GPS doesn't have every road and there are a few roads missing, it's a disaster. Okay, it's a disaster. And this right away hits me hard that. I respect every physician. I know they are the best. They go through, I think, the coolest amount of training. But that handicap, just like in golf, that is put on each one of them based on systems, availability, legality, everything else. And what I really liked is not only are you talking about nearly all the information, you're talking about predictiveness and adding social information. And I'll share personally from my point of view is coming out of Southeast Asia, India, our hearts are a little different than an average heart here. And when you put a norm on some EKGs, I have freaked out three or four times. Now it is my responsibility to help my cardiologist by saying, dude, just can you get the norm for Indian people at that age? And I'm making light of this, but when, as you know, for a patient, when we are in a crisis and you said that at the beginning is we literally walk in putting all the trust at the doctor's hand. And when a doctor looks at my reports, and I see the side of the face of the doctor and the doctor says, hmm, the third, hmm, I'm ready to have a heart attack. Okay. <laughs> it's like, you know, you're ejected. Like it's, yeah, that's right. It is such a lot of mental peace that is there. So I have to ask you a very philosophical question. Okay. You process this problem. You could have very easily taken this wisdom and created a solution for your practice and your practice would have boomed like crazy. What the heck were you thinking instead of taking care of you and your practice? You just said that, you know what? I'm here to change not only the cardiology world, but maybe open the door to all of medicine. What was the transition? What was the flip? Um, well, I, I actually, I have to say, I think uh, this did start out as a uh, in search of a personal solution because um, practicing the way that we do today, and, and I continue to have to practice that way, although I'm lucky enough to start having metacardia in my practice now, so I'm already starting to see some of those benefits, but this really was a journey for me to personally feel better about the way that I was providing care 
mm-hmm. to patients. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, uh, I think we all have these, we all have um, things that we sort of fixate on through the course of our days or through the course of those repetitive things that we do um, that, that comprise our, our, our day-to-day lives. And one of those things was the way that I felt coming out of the room when it may have been something of a hurried visit or as a brief visit for something that might've been trivial from a medical perspective, but you know, still could have been quite alarming or uh, um, unnerving at a minimum to the patient and, and perhaps may have translated and resulted in a dissatisfying experience for them. And certainly it was dissatisfying for me. And it really was, I was at, at that point where I was trying to, where I was starting to experience disillusion. And it was, it was that realization that I don't want to come out of the room feeling that way I don't want patients coming out of those those exam rooms feeling that way. And I don't want to have anxiety as I'm approaching the next visit or approaching the door of the physical exam room uh, with the patient inside, ready to uh, having to sort of um, ad lib my way through a visit by reviewing information in real time and meaning in that moment, not having the opportunity to have the breadth of information as well as the appropriate time to review in advance. Um, And it just became apparent to me that as I started feeling this way and reading about it, that this was a larger problem. Uh, Nowadays, it even has a term, we call it the burnout problem. Hmm. And recognizing that, that helped me recognize that I was probably in some phase of burnout in healthcare. I think all of that together is what allowed me to realize that this solution was probably never meant to be for just me. Uh, and it needed to be made available to more providers, more of my colleagues for a variety of reasons. But the most important reason was for all of the patients that they care for so that all of those patients could have the experience that they deserve. So let me ask you the flip side of the question. The flip side of the question is the challenge that you are trying to solve is a big challenge. And to me, you're not the only person who has figured out that there is this problem, you know, starting from the biggest tech companies to Google Health to everybody else, Apple, everybody else is trying to get into this. What is the big difference that Jeet and his team at Metacardia, who has way less resources than the big boys and girls, that gets you excited that you guys got it and you will change the world? Um, I think it's because of a simple premise uh, that success generally would come with compromise. And healthcare is not something that should be compromised. I love that. And so in order for this solution to be deemed a success, you know, back to what I had said before, patients have to win, providers have to win, provider organizations have to win, and the payers have to win. 
because there are a lot of challenges in healthcare as an industry, the inertia of healthcare, um, uh, the embedded you know, interests that really move to, uh, I shouldn't say move, but that really work towards keeping things as they are, the status quo. Uh, those forces are very strong. Like let's say the bigger picture without getting into technicalities, what kind of compromises that metacardia make sure that as you're putting these solutions out, you stay away from? Um, first, we don't want to be a solution that only addresses the needs of one or two stakeholders, as I uh, briefly mentioned. But the reason why that's important is if you only focus on that aspect of the problem, on that part of the iceberg, then you're missing the other seven eighths that are part of the puzzle, that are part of the picture, part of the problem, and also part of the solution. Mm -hmm. You have to know what the other stakeholders need in order for them to allow metacardia or data and healthcare industry to evolve and to change. Um, so we, we can't really afford to think small uh, because healthcare is not a small problem. The problems that patients face, that providers face, that organizations face with you know, diminishing margins, transition to value-based care that the payers face are massive. And each one of them is generally speaking in opposition to the other. So by ignoring some of the stakeholders, you're inherently setting yourself up for failure by ignoring the forces that will invariably stand in your way. So we need to understand that and find not a compromise, not a middle ground, but a true solution mm -hmm. to, to the problems that they each face. And that solution we believe is, is addressed by uh, access to data, intelligence and delivering it through a virtual care model to, to the masses. Now, what I like is when you said healthcare is not a small problem, I'm looking at it both at a micro and a macro level. When I have a health challenge, my health challenge getting solved is a big problem for me. It is a big problem for my wife and my daughter who are not in the room when I'm talking to the physician. It's an even bigger problem to my mom, my brother, everybody in the family around on the other side of the ponds because they are nowhere close to that. If they ever got to know that even though I have the best physicians, those guys don't have access to everything. My mom would tell me a simple thing that she doesn't start cooking till she has all ingredients. Okay. And that part is individually when you're solving my big problem and giving every doctor this tool, that's really powerful. I want to change the gear a little bit. By, you know, so look at a little bit of your journey, very successful physician, now a startup CEO. So what's the similarities in both these lives and journeys? What's the differences? Like, how do you wear, when do you change the hats for each one of these roles and how do you do it? Oh, uh, wow. Um, 
Thanks, Arjun. That's a great question. Um, I will say that I never take off uh, the doctor hat. And I probably never take off the physician entrepreneur hat. Um, just as there are multiple stakeholders that have different interests, um, the physician interest and the, provi the provider interest and the patient interest have to be taken into consideration with everything that I do as a provider of care to patients and as a physician entrepreneur who's building a technology to improve care for patients. I mean, there are um, a number of similarities and, and perhaps most fundamental is that both uh, are journeys of discovery. In medicine, we know that every patient is unique and we use our best experience and knowledge to provide the best care for patients, but we know that we can't get it right every time. And it's important to recognize that in medicine, you have to have humility and to pay attention to those mistakes because the mistakes we make or educated guesses that end up being wrong or small details that we really didn't pay attention to that ended up hiding the secret that could have saved someone if we only had recognized it, are the guideposts that we look for in the future or the next time around. Hence, we call it actually, you know, the practice of medicine. Otherwise, it would be the perfect of medicine. Wow. <laughs> Never thought of it this way that every time I'm going to a doctor, they're practicing on me. Yep. And it's sort of an asymptotic thing, right? You, you sort of never quite get there, but you can just, you can always get 50% closer. You can always get 50% closer, but you just never quite get there. Mm -hmm. And so in startups, you know, we hope as well that the learnings of the past and present will guide success in the future. But more to the point, the specifics of the startup journey are just as unique as the varied patients uh, that we care for, and each small experience will contain a secret that will guide you to your next success or milestone or failure. Mm -hmm. And the question is whether you will recognize it and uncover that clue that allows you to decide which path you'll take when you're at the next fork in the road, single founder versus multiple founder. Uh, startup, external investment versus trying to develop a cash flow to float the proverbial boat, you know, maintaining equity at the expense of runway versus dilution, you know, for external investment and extended stability. I mean, the, the questions that arise in as a startup are no less challenging, perhaps um, not as compelling. <laughs> but no less challenging as the decisions we have to make, uh, you know, with, with patients that are in front of us, you know, pacemaker procedure versus medication adjustment, increasing medications versus more side effects, less medications, increasing the risk of a bad outcome, um, avoiding medications with a simple procedure, but risking a complication of a procedure that could be dire, albeit, albeit rare. Um, there's uh, unfortunately, there's no right answer. And you have to work with uh, the best information that you have and hopefully with the best intentions, whether it's patient care or startup work. And what I like is, or I feel more assured more than like is you're making the best information more complete and that makes the odds more in the favor 
of the patient and That's the right. doctor too feels better about what he or she is doing. So the word that you use quite a lot is investment, okay? And every startup needs investment. So right now, if anybody is listening and are thinking of investing in the medical startup field or something similar, what would be your shameless plug to those to say, hey, consider Metacardia because if you put a dollar, this is the first place you should consider. Oh, wow. Well, I think, again, as, as we are the anti-startup, uh, we are not necessarily looking for money at all costs. We are looking for strategic partners. And those strategic partners have to be mission aligned with what we're doing, whether it is a strategic technology partner who wants to help forward the platform, or it's a strategic investment partner who sees the vision, understands the vision, and feels that this might be the very best use of any one dollar that they could ever have. Um, I don't think fintech investors would take a second look at us, and, and that's okay. <laughs> investors are ruled out. <laughs> So Jeet, let's now change the subject totally. And I just have to share a little disclosure to my audience, and I didn't want to do that at the very beginning. Is Jeet and myself, we are related. He is this incredible nephew of mine who I've seen him evolve in life in amazing admiration. And when he first thought of this idea, I'm like, oh no, another of my nephews, another brilliant idea. But usually many of these ideas vanish after a few weeks, then they go to the next idea. But then what I realized is this kiddo really will see this idea across and carry it across the finish line. So I have been very fortunate to see Jeet go from idea to plan, to team and start building. And what I have been amazed is everything Deeth was sharing today, that passion to make an impact. And when he talked about compromise, what I loved was as a patient, the promise he's making to me individually never gets diluted as he wants to make this big solution worldwide. So the reason I'm setting this up is, Jeet, I'm very impressed with your wisdom and I'm very fortunate to have had an amazing seat in the house as I started, <laughs> as you have evolved. So Jeet, you. there was this conversation, okay? And you walk into a favorite bar and there's a 16-year-old Jeet sitting there with a guitar. I'm just throwing a few things at you. <laughs> Jeet today and a 100-year-old Jeet sitting there enjoying a Japanese single malt that's right. What would the conversation between those three Jeets be, Jeet 16, Jeet today, and Jeet 100? Well, I think that Jeet of today would be smart to sit back 
and play moderator to the wisdom of the 16-year-old and that of the 100-year-old me. Uh, Jeet at 16 years knew, and I mean knew, that I could achieve anything that I set my mind to, anything. Mental, physical, emotional, doesn't matter. Where did that confidence come from, Jeet? That confidence? I think never being being raised by in an Indian family, you have so many uncles and aunts and brothers and sisters who are your cousins and, and people who are parent-like uh, beyond your immediate you know, parents and nuclear family. And you know, from my mother to uh, the, expan you know, the expanded uh, you know, family beyond the nucleus of you know, over a hundred relatives, I never heard once that something was unattainable or unachievable or that there ever was a limiting force, hmm. uh, a glass ceiling, uh, a barrier that couldn't be crossed, a distance that couldn't be traversed, a height that couldn't be reached. And I was surrounded by family members who didn't just say that, but they lived that, they lived that. And my mother is the, is the ultimate example of that with, with my dad passing, you know, when, when I was only five and of heart disease and she didn't even have a driver's license or a job uh, and she had to raise uh, two children. And she did so uh, with a struggle, but always with grace and um, always kept the eye on the prize for herself and for us. Uh, we were her prize, so to speak. So <laughs> she kept the eye on the prize and uh, made sure that, uh, that there was never st anything standing in our way. And as you know, in our culture, um, that is embodied by Ganesh. And so mm -hmm. she, uh, the clearer of obstacles. And so that was the way that she lived her life every day for us. Mm. So- uh, Go back sorry. to the conversation between yeah. the- Yeah, yeah, well, right. <laughs> yeah there's, there's 84 years between these guys. And so, um, Jeet of a hundred would hopefully be wise enough to only offer lessons that he had learned through those years to further enforce that truth. Because the only limitations uh, or barriers are those that we create for ourselves. Mm -hmm. And then back to uh, Jeet of today, uh, the least knowledgeable of the three would just take notes and grab some nuggets of wisdom from the two of them. You know, this was very unique because I really, I asked this question to every guest every time. You're the first person ever use the same thread between the 16 year old and the 100 year old about confidence. And to me, I really, again, there's no right or wrong answers. And to me, it's all very intriguing and that really hit home. So just thank you again for a very fascinating conversation, which I will cherish and it will be special to me forever. So anything else you want the listeners to know before we wrap this conversation up? Well, um, within the context of, of this conversation, this podcast and Metacardia, it is that I am a physician 
and I'm a doctor and I provide care. And that is what drives me and motivates me. And while many physician entrepreneurs find themselves in a situation of having to step away from their practice and, and become executives, uh, um, there may be some of that that I have to reconcile with as well. But what I'm looking forward to one day is being able to just practice medicine with metacardia in front of me and give patients the care that they deserve. Thank you. And you answered every question I asked. Is there anything you want to ask me to put me on the spot? What kind of mindset do you get into when, or maybe you're in it all the time, that allows you to have this free-flowing, fluid, very informed, insightful, curious conversation uh, that I think I personally find challenging and I think um, that I personally find challenging. Okay. So there are three parts to that answer. Number one is you need to be in a position in life where every moment matters. You know, I have gone through 18 surgeries in my life. In 1998, when doctors told me I would not see Christmas that year, I told them I'm not paying your bills. Okay. <laughs> Again, I feel life, there's a purpose, there's a mission, but at least somehow life has taught me that once you go into that many overtimes, you appreciate the moments even more, which means you want to be present in every moment. Second, because you're present in every moment, I realize also that every moment never comes a second time in life. This conversation, you and I, we will do more podcasts, but the first podcast you and I will do will never come a second time. And understanding the importance of everything every time makes us pay a little more attention to everything around. And once you pay more attention, you see things that nobody else ever sees. That see beyond to me is the most important thing ever. The reason anywhere in the world we go, you ask who is the number one detective of all time, Sherlock Holmes. Anybody else had an 18 step process. Sherlock Holmes would just lift the table, the leg of the table, boom, there was this evidence. Like, how does he do that? Okay. It's all about not following the process. There has to be a process and a framework, but then breaking that process is very important. But the final thing is what you alluded to is trusting yourself. Okay. I always look at myself that there are times I made a fool of myself based on what I said, but none of them got me out of the game, which means I really must trust myself to say what I want to. Yesterday, I was speaking at an event at Chicago, and I was showing a slide about Chipotle sales from 22 years back when the projector, whatever it is, the screen froze. And this came to my mind, and I said it. I said, I was supposed to show, show some slides, and I thought I got it cleared by Chipotle. Looks like it wasn't cleared by Chipotle, guys. <laughs> and next mm -hmm. second, they may come. I said, oh, Chipotle just cleared it. I can talk about it. And everybody had a lot of fun about it. But... I really feel, as you talked about, we all must trust ourselves because at some point of time, the creativity that comes out, we suppress it. 
I have a painting when you come and visit me in Houston, which I put near the front door, which I see every day is a painting of myself, which I did when I was 40, about me when I was 10 years old. Hmm. It is called conforming. I grew up, I wanted to be that good boy who follows rules, who came back on time, like everything, like it was like little Shamu, good Shamu, another fish. I want to break that. At the end of the day, I want to be Arjun and you're the best Jeet you are. And I really think in my humble way of trying to answer the best I could, those are my answers, Jeet. Hopefully that helps you. I like, yeah, that does. I love that conforming and recognizing that that may be what needs to be broken. Totally, totally. Because and you are- And trusting yourself, you which have, is what it came down to, yeah. You have to trust yourself. And that's what you're doing is you don't want to be another physician but what I really liked in your answer is at the end of the day, you want to do all these, let the world run more metacardia. You want to sit back, enjoy metacardia to be a better physician. That's the reason you built. It's a very simple thing. You're the person oh. building a better guitar. So you as a guitarist could enjoy the guitar. So that's, that's it. Right. Okay. Yep. So thank you, Jeet. Truly appreciate this conversation. Thank you again, Arjun. This has been a wonderful, wonderful hour being illuminating for me. Uh, it released some of my creative thought processes. And I think through the process, I learned to trust myself. Absolutely. And, you know, for every one of you who listen to this conversation, I really would hope you listen till the end because what was very unique, even though I know Jeet and I thought I knew there was something more I learned. Some of us get into startups for different reasons. Some get up, get there because we are, don't like what we are doing. Some get there because we want to make that obscene amount of money, just like Facebook and everything else. But then there are people who are authentic and genuine, who want to create a startup to solve for a problem so they can go back to what they do and enjoy doing it even more. Jeet talked about being a physician and that's where the whole loop ends. Your metacardia will be running and everything else, and Jeet will be the cool physician making an impact with every patient every time. Thank you all. Truly appreciate sharing these conversations with you. Happy listening. Until next time, when I get you another conversation with another leader, but this will be, I promise, tough to beat. Thanks again, Jeet. You've been listening to Secrets to Win Big with Arjun Sen, founder and CEO of Zen Mango, top brand growth driver and a former Fortune 500 executive who has been called one of the most marketing intelligent minds in the business. To learn more, visit www.zenmango.com. Share this podcast with your friends and subscribe wherever you like to listen to podcasts. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.